Well, I thank you very much for being here again tonight. The second service of a meeting is always the sobering one. After they've heard you the first time, you always wonder if anybody's coming back. And, and you did, and I appreciate that. It's a rainy Sunday evening. We have a great crowd for our worship period tonight. We're glad that you're here. Lots of visitors with us tonight. That's a special, special privilege for us to be together with family and friends and brethren from other places. <clears throat> to come together to focus our minds and our hearts together on God is just a wonderful thing. And it's great to be together in His presence to do the kinds of things that we're doing here and singing His praise and offering our thanksgiving to Him in prayer and in engaging in this period of uh, the study of the Word. This morning, uh, Bob told you that <clears throat> I'm living in the Nashville, Tennessee area. I've been there for 20-some some years. Uh, preaching in a place down in Spring Hill. I live in Franklin, Tennessee, part of the Nashville metro area. And uh, working with a church in the Spring Hill area. I have the privilege of working with another preacher there. His name is Tim Ruffin. And uh, his dad is with us tonight, and his brother, Stanley, is with us tonight, and I, I wanted you to know that. And uh, if you've never heard Tim preach, he's at home preaching today, uh, but if you have never heard Tim preach, you have missed something really special. Tim is a wonderful preacher, and I hope that sometime you will have that opportunity. Come to Spring Hill and, and visit with us and, and listen to Tim Proclaim the word uh, of the Lord. He, he is very, very focused on the text as he preaches. And he has been given a remarkable gift by God uh, to teach the text and to make application of the text. And, and to express it in a way uh, that is very clear and shows the relevancy of the truth of God in the lives that we are living in. And uh, I appreciate him so much and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to work with him. And I'm very very glad that his dad and brother can be with us tonight. All of you who are here, what, what a great, great privilege uh, to be together. I want to start off by <clears throat> just sharing with you the reality of life. The, the title of the sermon tonight, Why Serve God? Why do we serve God? I, I will tell you... People have struggled with that through the centuries. Been a lot of misunderstanding about why a man would serve God. Satan himself was very confused about why man serves God. I wonder sometimes if we're confused about that. Why, why do we serve God? And are there times in our lives, we already know this, are, are there times in our lives when it is Harder to serve God than it is at other times, I, I would tell you for sure. If you've lived any length of time at all, if you have any life experience at all, you know full well that in the darkness of the night when the storm clouds have gathered, when, when it is thundering and the rain is pouring torrents all about you, you know that there are times in life 
when serving God is more challenging. I I will tell you, there, there are a lot of things that cause people to wonder about their faith in God. Sometimes there are great theological questions that people wrestle with. I, I have some appreciation for that. We, we have, in our group, we, we have some young folks who are going through some uh, really challenging moments right now as they are wrestling with some questions that are significant. or Just doctrinal principles of truth regarding God and the nature of God and the activity of God. And there are things that challenge our faith uh, regarding this life. But I I would tell you tonight that I don't think there's anything that challenges our faith any more than the problem of suffering in life. You may say, well, uh, I've just never suffered very much. Get down on your knees tonight and thank God for that. But I will tell you something else. It means that you haven't lived very long. Because if God grants you years of life in this world, somewhere along the way, your heart will be broken. And somewhere along the way, you will feel the pain of grief and sorrow. You will be touched by the horror and the atrocity of the death of a loved one. Somewhere along the way, you will have to face realities in life under the sun that will touch you to the very depth of your being. And somewhere along the way, in the darkness of that moment, you are going to have to answer the hard question about why you are serving God. And at the end of the day, is it worth it or not? The Old Testament in the book of Job, which may perhaps be the oldest of all the books in the Bible. Job tells us the story of a man who has everything going for him. His name was Job, and actually he had it all. He was living the good life. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. If you underline things in your text, go ahead and underline that word perfect. It is from the Hebrew word tamam. You're going to see it again and again in these first two chapters. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And his substance was 7,000 sheep. And 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man, listen, this man was the greatest of all the children of the East. Can you imagine this? 
This man absolutely had it all. He had the wife. He had the children. He had the land, the farm, the ranch. He had the cattle. He had the respect of others. He served God. He feared God. His life was blessed in so many ways. And and you know the story of Job. You know the narrative. You know what happened. Here is a man who seemingly had it all. And he lost it all. (laughs) And then the story begins. In chapter 2, his wife challenges him. In chapter 3, his three friends show up. Some friends they are. They sat with him for seven days without saying a word. And when they did begin speaking, perhaps they should not have, because their speeches were, in one sense, monotonous. You know what monotonous is? It's, uh, it's like preachers are a lot of times. We're monotonous, but monotonous, monotonous. They had one theme, one message, one, one general idea, and it was expressed in, in lots of different ways. But his friends, when they came and they sat with him and they listened to his woes, and he was covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom, they were commiserated with him. And then when they spoke, they made the standard argument with the standard wisdom of their day. And they said to Job, here's what the problem is. And here is the answer to the problem of your suffering. People generally get what they deserve, Job. What have you done? What is your sin? What are you hiding? What is this abomination you have committed against God? People suffer because they deserve it. And that's how it all starts. And Job is telling them, hey guys, not saying I'm sinless, but uh, believe me when I tell you. I'm not hiding anything in my life. It's not like I've got this huge skeleton in my closet that needs to come out. And Job is saying to his friends, that's not it. That is not the answer to what's going on here. I, I have not lost all, all of my cattle, all of my sheep, all of my land, all of my crops, all of my... Tr- I have not lost all of that because of some heinous crime I've committed against God that I'm, re- that I'm holding in my heart and I refuse to repent of it. That is not the case. I'm telling you, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why God is allowing this. But we know. In part, what caused it. We know that there was this spiritual conflict that was created in heaven when God was meeting together with a heavenly host and Satan came and presented himself among them. And God said to Satan, where have you been? And Satan replied to God, I've been going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. What does that remind you of? First Peter chapter five and verse eight, doesn't it? 
What did Peter say? That Satan is going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Where have you been, Satan? And he said, I've been going to and fro and up and down in the earth. And God said, hey, hey, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, oh, wait a minute, time out. Don't, don't be holding up Job as some example of your glory and your honor. And God says, well, why not? Satan said, no, Job is all flat. You can't, you can't use Job as an example of a man who is honoring you and serving you and, and giving you your due. And all. that is not the case. Everybody knows, Satan says, everybody knows that Job serves you because you pay him off. You buy him. You have hedged up his way. Everything he touches turns to gold. Everything he's involved in, you have blessed. You've given him the wife. You've given him the kids. You've given him the farm, the ranch, the land, the cattle. You've given him the crops. You've given him riches. You've given him power and esteem and respect among all of his peers and countrymen. You've given him every... Well, everybody would serve you if you'd give everybody that. Job serves you only because you pay him off. And Satan said, I'll tell you right now, Job is not an example of a man who wants to be righteous, who wants to glorify you. To the contrary, you take away all of his goodies that you're paying him with, he will curse you to your face. That's the only reason he serves you, is for the stuff. And God said, that's not true. Satan said, that is why he serves you. For selfish reasons. Because he wants the blessings. And God said, that's not true. Satan said, it is true. God said, it's not true. Satan said, let me take it away. And you watch. He will curse you to your face. God said, go and take it. Don't touch him. And you know the story. Satan went. Immediately. And he took it away. He took away everything. Job went from being the wealthiest man in the East to nothing. He lost everything, including his children. And yet, the text tells us that he got up, he tore his robe, He shaved his head. He fell down on the ground and he worshiped God. And he said, Naked I came forth out of my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job sinned not. Nor did he charge God foolishly. 
But I'll tell you, it was hard days for his wife. You know that. And she was struggling mightily. And I want to tell you something else. These were hard days for Job. Because he was struggling mightily too. He did not sin. He did not curse God. But I'm telling you right now, Job was struggling and he wanted to know what you want to know, what I want to know, what we all want to know. When we're in the darkness, when we're in the middle of the fire, when the adversity is, the the flames of adversity are jumping up all around us. All of us want to know why. Why is this happening? And I want to tell you, when that question comes, it is not this abstract philosophical question of the ages of why is there evil in the world? I know why there's evil in the world because of Satan and because the introduction of sin and the God. I I can say that. That's not what I'm struggling with. And it's not a question of, well, I, I just want to know why do people have to die? Why does a loved one have to die? Why do little children have to die? I'm, that's not what I'm struggling with. I'm not struggling with why all the little children in all the world through all the centuries had to get sick. And I want to know in that moment, I'll tell you what I'm struggling with. In that moment... I want to know, why did my child have to die? So Job and his friends go on. One speech after another. I think this is the problem. I see it this way. I think it may be this. No, you guys have it wrong. I I don't understand this. But I'm telling you, God, if you would just talk to me, if you would come down, if you you would just listen, if we could have an arbitrator between us just for a little while, then maybe something, we, we, we could arrive somewhere. And finally... For 37 chapters, God has not spoken. (laughs) And finally, at the end of 37 chapters, in the beginning of chapter 38, God's voice finally is introduced into the midst of all of this ignorance. And Job is saying, God, I wish you would answer me. God, I wish you would tell me why. If you would just explain this to me, why it had to happen. And when God finally spoke, the text says he answered Job out of a whirlwind. And this is the, these are the first words that came out of the mouth of God. When he finally spoke to Job in the midst of his conflict and his and his terror of the moment, when he's struggling with his faith, when he's calling upon God to answer him, God finally speaks. And the first words out of his mouth are this. Who is this? Who is this? That darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge. Just 
Who do you think you are? Demanding of me that I have to give you an explanation. Job, have you forgotten who you are? Or maybe you have forgotten, God said, who I am in this moment. The first thing God says to Job is said in the form of a question. Just who do you think you are? Job, have you forgotten that you are not God? You are not God. Gird up your loins. Answer me a few questions. The one who's standing here demanding of me that I owe you an explanation. Answer me a question or two. Would you please? Where were you when I made this world? Where were you, Job? Declare if you have understanding how I did all of that. Where were you, Job, when I set the boundaries of the sea? Where were you, Job? What about the lights, the stars, and the heavenly bodies, the constellations? Where were you, Job? Answer me this. Have you forgotten, Job, that I am God And you are not. Ladies and gentlemen, we are right now living in a culture that is full of people who have forgotten who we are. And people who have forgotten who God is. It happened before. 2,000 years ago, what did the Apostle Paul say of the Greco-Roman world of the first century? In Romans, the first, chap- Romans, the first chapter, when he, when he talks about the wrath of God that's going to be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul said, here's the reality. The invisible things of God, since the creation of the world, are clearly seen. How? Being perceived through the things that are made, even His everlasting power and divinity, that they may be without excuse. Because that knowing God... They did not glorify him as God, neither did they give thanks. He goes on to say, refusing to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up to their own reprobate minds to do those things that are not 
fitting. I'm telling you, 2,000 years ago, the world was full of sophisticated people who had been schooled in the Greek culture and they were living with the Roman power of the sword and they thought they were really smart. They thought they were intelligent. They thought they really understood and had within their grasp the keys of life. And the Apostle Paul is saying to them, who do you think you are? They had forgotten who God is. Job's line of reasoning with God was not to accuse God of being evil. Job did not accuse God of being evil. He did not accuse God of being wrong. He did not accuse God of doing wrong. What Job was doing was demanding that God owed him an explanation for all of this. You just need to tell me why you did it. And God said, oh, is that right, big boy? You are demanding of me, and, and, and just who are you? Let me remind you of something, Job. You are the clay. I am the potter. You are the creature. I am the creator. I am God, and you are not. And you do not tell me. I tell you. Sounds strange to hear those things in the culture we live in, doesn't it? Because we don't like that. We resist that. In fact, we are culturally conditioned to resist that kind of thinking and reasoning. We're living in a culture that does not want to be told that God is in his heaven and we are on the earth and we ought to come before him and be quiet and let him speak. I'll tell you something, folks. There are some horrible, painful, disgusting atrocities that happen in this world. But we better be careful before we reach a decision that we're going to impeach God and place ourselves in charge of things. I'm not telling you tonight that it's not really that bad. Sometimes it's really that bad. And and I'm not going to look into the eyes of someone who is holding a sick child and, and say to them, well, you ought not to cry for the child. It's right to cry for the child. I'm saying to you tonight, That in all of this, we have to remember, we are the creature, the created, 
God is the creator. Job, who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? A second question that God asks, or that God records for us, was asked not by God, but by Job's wife. Do you remember in Job chapter 2 and verse 9, Job's wife, I, I want to remind you of something, Job's wife lost everything Job lost. She lost her children. She lost her wealth. She lost her possessions. She lost her... She lost everything. And now she's seeing her husband covered from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He is in a pitiful condition. (laughs) And she said in verse 9 to Job, Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? You need to curse God, renounce God, and die. You remember in, back in chapter 1 and verse 1, I told you to underline that word perfect. In verse 9, you can underline that word integrity. Go back up to verse 1 of chapter 2. It came to pass on that day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came among to present himself. And the Lord said, from, uh, and Jehovah said unto Satan, from whence do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down. And the same thing he said before. And God said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man. One that fears God and turns away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. Underline it. Integrity. Although you moved me against him. To destroy him without cause. The word in Hebrew is tamam. Tamam. It it means... Complete. It means the whole. It means it means the entire thing with all of its integral parts in place. It means sound. We we begin to describe Job and we say, Well, Job has lost everything. No. No, that is not what God said. Satan has taken away all the stuff and he's taken away his family and he's taken away his joy. But God is saying, have you considered Job? He still has completeness, wholeness, integrity. And Job's wife looks at him and she said, I can't believe you after all of this. And now your pitiful physical condition and you have still got it together. You are still to mom. There's a story told of an old Arab 
who wanted a son. And he married his wife and they had a child and he was waiting and waiting. And the first child was a daughter. That's okay. She was sweet and she was beautiful. He wanted a son. And his wife was expecting again and he was waiting and waiting. And she had another daughter. And then she had a third daughter and a fourth daughter and a fifth daughter and a sixth daughter. And when his sixth daughter was born, he named her Tamama, the feminine form, which means enough, complete, full. That's it. Whole. We're done. That's what God was saying about Job. We we see sometimes a, a person who is struggling with a life-threatening disease. We, we saw them a year ago. They were at the gym. Man, they look great. <laughs> we saw them a year later. They're in the midst of their third round of chemotherapy, radiation treatments. They've lost about 50, 60 pounds, and their, their body is frail and bent. And we, Oh, and somebody said, oh, he's, uh, he's not even half the man he, he was a year ago. Is that true? He's not even half the man? That's not what God said. God said, I I can lose my health. I can lose my wealth. I can lose my spouse. I can lose my children. I may suffer every conceivable calamity and disaster. But in the midst of all of that, I can still be whole. I can still be to mom. I can remain faithful to the Lord. And Job would say, as he's arguing with his friends, I know this has happened. I know that they, uh, I lost my children. I lost my sons. I lost my daughters. I lost my cattle. I lost my land. I've lost everything. But Job says, let me tell you something as far as my service to God is concerned. I've not lost my faith. I believe in God. I trust in God. And though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. Ladies and gentlemen, the question is not, well, is human suffering going to come to an end in our lifetime? I'm t- it's not. Are we going to be able to, to discover the cure for all illness and disease in our life? We're not. Is the world going to change finally to become this utopia? It's not. The question is, we're going to rise to the challenge of the day and the challenge of our faith and the challenge that is presented to us in the context of a sinful and tragedy-stricken world And are we in the midst of that challenge determined that we are going to remain faithful to God? Come what may. Whether I understand it or not, whether God has explained it or not, whether He has taken away my pain or not, though He slay me, am I going to Trust Him. I'll tell you something you learn from Job. If you have the 
inside right. You can deal with whatever is happening on the outside. God wants you to build your heart for him. And so I turn your attention back to Job chapter 1. Asking you again, why will a man serve God? God said to Satan, have you considered Job? (laughs) And Satan said, no, 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 no. That's not fair. It's not right. Job is on the take. You are paying him off. You, You have given him one gift after another. He is serving you only because he is living the good life. You take those goodies away, he's going to curse you to your faith. Will a man, here was the question, will a man serve God for naught? What does that mean? Job chapter 1 and verse 9, that's what, this is the argument of Satan. Will a man serve God for nothing? Satan's argument is, he's serving you only because you're paying him off. And his point is, you stop paying him, he stops serving you. So I'm asking you tonight, why will a man serve God? Why? Somebody says, well, because of fear, because I don't want to go to hell when this life is over. Fear is a good motivator. Jesus said to his disciples, don't be afraid of the ones who can kill the body. You be, you be fearful of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. It's a legitimate, powerful motivation. But ultimately, it's not the motivation. And somebody says, well, it's not fear. It, it, is, it, it is the desire for reward. It's not that it, so much that I fear going to hell, but I want to be in heaven with God. Peter says, he begat us again unto a living hope, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and one that does not fade away. Doesn't that sound great to you? Something so good that it will never change, it will never fade, it will never go away, you'll never be separated again. The the desire for heaven is a legitimate reason to serve God. It is a powerful motivation. But I'm saying to you again, that is not the highest motivation. Here's the question, folks. And listen to me carefully. Because in the darkness of the night, night, in the midst of the atrocity of your pain and grief and suffering, it may well be that the fear of hell is not going to motivate you to remain faithful to God in view of where you are at the moment. And it may well be that in that moment, your desire for reward is not motivating you because frankly, in that moment, you're not seeing it. Now the question is this. 
If there were not any heaven, if there were not any hell, would a person serve God just because he is God and he is worthy to be praised? That's the question. And if you arrive at a moment in your life When you are suffering so badly, you don't even fear the suffering. If you arrive at a moment in your life when the darkness around you is so profound that you no longer can see the light of heaven, I'm asking you, will you serve God in that moment Just because he is God. And he is worthy to be praised. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what Job did. In the context of his life, in the context of his pain, in the context of his suffering. I will tell you this. I I don't know. I don't know the suffering that you've had in your life. I, I, I do not know what was the darkest night. I do not know about the fires of adversity that have tormented your body. I do know this. There's coming a day. There is coming a day when the sufferings of this present world will not be worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to usward. Aren't you glad about that? And, and don't you long for that moment when the archangel shouts and the trumpet sounds and the heavens open and the Son of Man appears and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we that are alive that are left unto the coming of the Lord are together with them going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord and we tonight Comfort one another with those words. And it may be that for the moment, we're going to hold hands and pull each other close. And we're going to wipe the tears of one another. And we are going to hug. And we are going to encourage. And we are going to help each other through what may be the most difficult adversities of a lifetime. But we do that in confidence and in faith. That one day, our Lord is coming for us. Redeeming us 
from all the pain and the sorrow and the woe of this present world. And I'm telling you, folks, when that day comes, the suffering of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. If you don't have that hope tonight, can I plead with you tonight to give your life in obedience to the Lord? If you have never confessed the sweet name of Jesus and with a penitent heart put on the Lord in baptism, would you do that tonight? And if you are a child of God who needs to come back to your Father, Would you come right now while we stand together and sing?